about 16 minutes into the Pixar movie Cars, Rascal Flatts starts singing, Life is a Highway. And you realize that the movie Cars is not a racing film, it's a transformation film. It's about a personal journey of the main character, the race car right there in the front, Lightning McQueen. And as Rascal Flatts is singing, Life is a Highway, there is a cross-country trip that actually is a metaphor for the transformation that's going to take place in the main character's life. At the beginning of the movie, Lightning McQueen is on the East Coast racing. And when we're first introduced to this character, he's selfish, he's self-absorbed, he's walled off from others, he's arrogant. The only thing he's interested in is speed and winning. And then comes the life is a highway and this cross-country journey. And by the time he gets to the West Coast, he's interested in the needs of others above his own. And he's part of a healthier sort of community and group of friends. And the key event in this transformation is a stop in a little town called Radiator Springs. And in Radiator Springs, Lightning McQueen gets a new mentor, Doc Hudson. He gets a new set of friends. He opens himself up to some new experiences. And he ends up a different car person uh, than he was before. Last week, we talked about Matthew's call to discipleship. Matthew is the author of the book of the Bible that we're studying together here at Calvary. And he narrated for us his own call by Jesus, where Jesus came to him and said, Matthew, come follow me. The words follow me imply a journey. And so it's not surprising that right after Matthew is invited to come with Jesus on a journey, that Matthew would tell us a little bit about how that journey works. And so while we agree with Rascal Flatts and Tom Cochran, who wrote the song, that life is a highway, we would simply add life is a highway and discipleship is a journey. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter nine. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's super fine. We provide them in the racks in front of you because we're like, look, we would love for you to see this not as sort of human words, but as God's word to you. If you take one of those Bibles and turn to page 790, if you turn to page 790, you'll be in what we call the Gospel of Matthew. And this is a book telling us about Jesus's life here on earth. Matthew chapter nine and I'm going to read in just a minute verses 14 to 17. So page 790, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to listen as Matthew tells us a little bit about the process of following Jesus. That when Jesus invites us to come with him on a journey, that some things are going to happen to us on that journey. And Matthew narrates that for us in verses 14 to 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, meaning asked Jesus, 
How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. From this teaching, I'd like to draw for us three observations about how the process of discipleship, the process of following Jesus, the process of transformation happens. Principle number one, different people are at different stages in their discipleship journeys. When this passage opens, we're introduced to three different groups of people. The first are the Pharisees. What the Pharisees are is that these are people who are living their life and operating under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law. They are Jewish uh, believers who are trying to live out obedience to the law and to the traditions of the elders. There is a second group which are the disciples of John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent by God as a forerunner to prepare people for Jesus' ministry here on earth. And John the Baptist gathered disciples for himself, usually from among the Pharisees and other Jewish people, to help prepare them for the time of God's rescue and salvation in the person of Jesus. And the third group that we have in this story are the disciples of Jesus. These are people who are following after Jesus. And these three groups in many ways represent sort of metaphorically three stages of the journey. In the first stage we have the Pharisees who are not yet followers of Jesus. They're sort of interested to figure out what's going on and so sometimes they're antagonistic, sometimes they're interested, but they're sort of at the first stage of figuring out do they want to follow after Jesus or not. The disciples of John the Baptist are kind of the middle stage. They have realized that God is doing something and so they've come out of where the Pharisees are, but they've not yet gotten to the point of recognizing exactly who Jesus is. Many of Jesus' disciples started as disciples of John the Baptist. Andrew, for example, who's one of the 12 apostles, he's Peter's brother, he starts out as a disciple of John the Baptist, but John the Baptist's job was to help gather people and then as they were ready to transition them to being disciples of Jesus. So John the Baptist kind of represents that sort of second stage, that in-between stage where people are growing from where they were but are not quite followers of Jesus yet. And then the disciples of Jesus represent where we're supposed to be following after Jesus, becoming more like him, going with him on this journey of transformation. And the issue that is initially raised is you've got three different groups of people doing different practices. Two of the groups, the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist, they're fasting. 
They have a regular spiritual discipline of avoiding food at specific times in the week or in the month. And Jesus' disciples are not. And so everybody's confused. Shouldn't we all be doing the same thing? Either everybody should be fasting or everybody should not be fasting. And Jesus answers the question and reveals this truth to us that different people are at different stages in their discipleship journey. Now, this is not that radical of a point. The idea that if you're gonna go on a journey that different people would be at different places on the journey, that's pretty well accepted. The practical applications, though, of this can be quite radical. For example, consider the issue of divorce. This is one of the things that when Jesus was asked about divorce, he says a little bit like, well, it kind of depends where you are in the journey. That there were some people who were sort of in the camp of the Pharisees. They were early on in the process and it got, Jesus says, look, in the Old Testament, God allowed people to get divorced for any number of different reasons. He did that because their hearts were hard. And so at that point in the process of where they were, we see that in the world around us today, there are lots of people getting divorced for whatever reason they feel like getting divorced for. That's part of the process of the journey of getting to know who Jesus is. Jesus also says later on, there are some people who are Christians who do end up getting divorced. They're in a situation, a marriage situation that is untenable. And 1 Corinthians 7 says there are situations where not only is divorce allowed, but it appears that at time God leads his children through that process. Now those who go through that, God says they have to stay unmarried unless there's been marital unfaithfulness or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. But Jesus says there are people who are on the discipleship journey who go through the process of divorce and God is leading them through that because that's the stage, that's where they're at in the process. There are also people who are at a different stage and God is asking them to stay in a difficult marriage and to submit to that. And the point is not everybody should be doing the same thing. We like to think, well, everybody should be doing either it's fasting, 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 or not fasting, not fasting, not fasting. We think it ought to be, well, don't get divorced, don't get divorced, don't get divorced, or get divorced, get divorced. But the point is, different people are at different stages in their discipleship journey. And in this passage, we've got some people fasting, another group fasting, and a group not fasting. And Jesus says, for divorce, we have some people get divorced. Other people get divorced. Other people stay in a difficult marriage situation. Or consider the issue of miraculous healings. Sometimes in the wider culture, because God is all-powerful, loving, and kind, he gives miraculous healings to people who aren't even really followers of Jesus. He does this out of love to draw people to himself. Likewise, there are some Christians who in their discipleship journey of following Jesus experience from God a miraculous healing, whether through medical means or apart from medical means, where God comes along and does something that nobody expected as a gift and a blessing to the person on this journey but yet there are others for whom they have prayed faithfully and lived faithfully 
And God has chosen for that stage of their journey not to provide a healing. And the point is, just like in this passage, fasting, fasting, not fasting. Healing, healing, not healed. Jesus' point, different people are at different stages in their discipleship journeys. Likewise, the season of Lent, which we're in right now. It started this past Wednesday. There might be a particular person who, uh, let's say, is part of a church and their church celebrates Lent and they're part of the church, but they're not really a follower of Jesus. Uh, You can be part of a church and not really be connected to Jesus. And so imagine a person who is sort of going through the motions at church and their church does Lent. And so they think, well, I'll, I'll do that too. And God's actually using that in their life to help make them more aware of Jesus's sacrifice for them. Great. There might be another person who maybe has come to faith recently and has come out of a more legalistic, ritualistic situation. God is like, look, I don't want you going back into that stuff. And so God directs that person not to participate in these sort of 40 days of fasting and sacrifice. And so for that person, God leads them to say, this isn't for you at this season. Another person may be a strong Christian that's been a Christian for a long time and God's like, look, we're going to use the season of Lent to help you develop spirit-filled self-control and discipline. Different people at different stages in the discipleship journey. In that case, Lent, no Lent, Lent. And God's point is, is we think that everybody should be doing the same thing all of the time, but that's not how a journey works. So principle number one, different people are at different stages in their discipleship journeys. Point number two, each of us go through different seasons of life in the discipleship journey. This is actually a corollary of the first point. I'm just saying it differently because we helps us process it differently. The first point is when we look around at other people, we see other people making different decisions than we're making and we think, hey, shouldn't we all be making the same decision? The answer is no. This point is trying to say when we look at our own lives, we may see different things in the past than are going on now and think, well, should I really be doing something different than I was before? And the answer is yes. The idea of verse 15, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. The bridegroom here is Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is because Jesus is present during this time on the earth, that those people who are disciples of Jesus can't be fasting because fasting goes with mourning, with being sad. And while Jesus is present, they shouldn't be doing that. So consider the person of Andrew. I mentioned him earlier. Andrew started off as just a Jewish person. When John the Baptist came along, he heard John the Baptist's message and became a follower of John the Baptist. John the Baptist then helped attach Andrew, detach Andrew from himself and attach him to Jesus. So in Andrew's journey, he started off as a Jewish person fasting regularly. When he became a disciple of John the Baptist, he also fasted regularly. When he became a disciple of Jesus, he stopped fasting regularly. And Jesus says, a point is coming when I'm going to ascend to heaven and Andrew will fast again. And the idea is is that all of us are on a journey and that journey takes us through different seasons of life and different things happen in those seasons. Same journey, 
different phases. I was reminded of a testimony of a man who I'd heard who early on in his Christian faith, speaking in tongues was an important part of his faith journey. The sort of miraculous experience of speaking in a language that he doesn't know and having someone interpret that. This same man was asked 20 years later whether he still spoke in tongues. And his answer was, I don't anymore. It just sort of faded away. And what he said was, is he's like, I just found that I didn't need that to engage with God anymore. He had learned to engage with God through teaching, through, pe- through preaching, through prophecy, and no longer needed sort of speaking in tongues. That's the same person going through different phases of their discipleship journey. Both were great, but different phases. You may be in a situation where you're on a journey in learning how to pray. Nobody knows how to pray sort of when they're born. We all are on a journey learning. Maybe you're at a place where you've got young children. And God's like, for this new phase, we're going to have to get up earlier in the morning before the chaos begins. And God is teaching you the discipline of saying, look, we got to have some time together or you're not going to make it through the day. It's a new phase. And what you were doing before isn't going to work in this phase. Or maybe you've gotten to the point where you're like, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty well in my discipline of prayer. I got my list of things that I'm praying for. I got stuff that's important. But maybe at this point in your journey, God is trying to encourage you to spend less time going over the list of stuff that you want and more time having a conversation. Maybe you're at the place where God's like, look, I'm I'm so grateful for your list, but I'm ready to talk with you. I wanna say things to you. I want to hear back what you have to say. We go through different phases in the process because it's a journey. It's a transformation. And what you and I did a year ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago may not be the thing God wants us to do now. This is built into the celebration of Lent itself at this point. Lent, the season of 40 days in which we prepare ourselves to celebrate and think about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, these 40 days are part of the church's calendar because we're supposed to realize that different seasons of our life have different behaviors. And one of the things that the church historically has done during Lent is we fast from something. We might give up sweets or you might give up video games. You might give up Netflix or you might give up some some reading or some time of sleep so that you can engage with God in a new way. Different seasons have different things that we're engaged in. But even in Lent itself, this, this principle is built in. If you ever do the math from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, is not 40 days. It's 46 days. It's not that people early early on in the church were bad at math. The reason Lent is 46 days is Matthew chapter nine, our very passage. When the early church was setting this up, they read this passage and said, well, you can't fast when Jesus is present. And on Sunday, when you gather together, Jesus is uniquely present. And so there are six Sundays of Lent. And during those six Sundays, the church built in the idea that you take a break from whatever it is you're fasting from because on Sunday you get to celebrate that Jesus is here. That's how you get from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And so built into Lent itself 
is that one day a week in Lent is a celebration day. Six days there's fasting and mourning and suffering, but one day we celebrate that Jesus is risen from the dead. Each of us go through different seasons of life in the discipleship journey. Observation number three, and this is the most important one. On our journeys of discipleship, God is always creating something new. That's the last two verses of our passage, verses 16 and 17. That's this discussion about new cloth and new wine. The idea here is God is always creating something new. Now I debated whether to use Cars, the movie, as an illustration for the sermon. The reason I did is because absolutely life is a highway and discipleship is a journey. That's an important, valid point that I wanted to sort of connect you to. The danger is what the movie Cars offers as the solution because it's wrong. You see, in Radiator Springs, what Lightning McQueen has taught is that if somehow we could return to some sort of nostalgic, weird 1950s time when there was Route 66 and not interstates and where people uh, got their gas and knew who the person was at the gas station, if we could somehow return to this nostalgic time, that would be the solution. But listen to what Ecclesiastes 7 says about such thinking. Do not say... Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You see, this third point is the main point. Up until this point, this could just be a secular talk. Even Disney gets the fact that life is a highway. They understand the fact that everybody's on a journey and different people are at different places in their journey. There's nothing radically Christian about that. The world understands that different people go through different seasons of life. That's not that strange either. You ask anybody in the world, they're gonna say, well, yeah, everybody goes through different phases of life. We got teenagers, we've got young adults, we've got adults, we've got different phases of life. There's work, there's retirement, there's school. Yes, we get that. This is the point that makes the talk Christian. Because the idea here is we're not going backwards to some nostalgic thing that might have existed in the past, nor are we just kind of wandering around in circles. The idea here is God is a creator God, and he's always creating new things. We're not going backwards, we're not going in circles, we're going somewhere. Jesus is leading us somewhere. Listen to how God says it in the book of Isaiah, verse, or chapter 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Paul says it this way, the Apostle Paul, about his own discipleship journey. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me homeward in Christ Jesus. 
God is always creating new things. He's always leading us from old to new. He's always taking us on a journey. You see, in the illustrations that I use, there's actually a direction to them. God is trying to move us from being the kind of people who might get divorced for any and every reason to being the kind of people who are willing to submit to difficult circumstances and to stick with God in these things. God is trying to move us from the kind of people who have to have mountaintop experiences all the time, got to have powerful, spiritual, ecstatic experiences to being the kind of people who are able to say, you know what, day in and day out, I'm sticking with God. He's gonna give me my instructions for the day and I gotta keep moving forward. God is trying to move us in a particular direction away from always having to be miraculously healed of whatever comes our way to getting to a point where we're like, okay, Lord, I would still like to be healed, but if it's not your will, I'm sticking with you. We're not just wandering around in circles. We're not trying to get back to some weird nostalgic time earlier in our life, 10 years ago when things were great, or 15 years ago, or one year ago when everything was the way we wanted it to be. God is always creating something new. See, you look at this and you think, okay, well, Andrew, he fasted when he was John the Baptist's disciple, and then he didn't fast when Jesus was present, and then he fasted again. It looks like he's just kind of going in circles. But that's not what was happening. When Andrew was simply like a Pharisee, he fasted out of religious obligation. He had to do it because of guilt. When he became a disciple of John the Baptist, he kept fasting, but for a different reason. He was now fasting because he was preparing for the coming of Jesus. When Jesus came, he stopped fasting because this was something new. God was now present on the earth and Andrew could talk face to face with God. When Jesus ascended, Andrew didn't go back to fasting like a Jew or fasting like a disciple of John the Baptist. He fasted again, but this time because of the Holy Spirit, because of the guidance of the Holy Spirit so he might be a witness to others so that God might work in him something new. On outward appearance, it looks like, okay, fasting, not fasting, fasting. We're just kind of wandering in circles. But God has us on a journey. And you might be back in a spot that you've been before. Maybe you're back out of a job. You were out of a job 15 years ago and you're back in that spot. It's not you're going in circles. God is doing something new. Maybe you've been re-diagnosed with cancer and you're like, well, I've had cancer before. It feels like I'm just going around in circles or it feels like I'm going backwards. No, God is creating something new. You're a new person this time out of a job. You're a new person this time going through cancer. And there's a new thing God wants to do. See, Disney just wants us to go back to the 1950s as if that was somehow going to fix our problems. It's not. It's because they don't have the ability to create new things. God does. He's always doing something new. And the point of this passage, Matthew had been a tax collector. He'd watched Rome do their thing. Nothing new under the sun. They were always wanting to go back to when the Roman Republic was somehow some of the great Roman Republic. It never was. When Matthew meets Jesus, he realizes this is the God who creates new life. And with God, 
the direction is always from old to new. So what do we do with this teaching? Three quick practical applications that you can think about when you have some more time on your own and pray through and meditate through. Number one, don't judge other people for where they are on their, pro on their journey. It's easy with Lent to go, well, I'm doing Lent. How come that person isn't doing it? Sometimes they're fasting, sometimes they're not fasting. Each person is on their own discipleship journey. And the point is different people are on different places in their journey. You and I ought not to judge them where they're at. God's got different people doing different things. He's the one in charge of where we're going. It's not our job to judge other people. Number two, because God is always doing a new thing, we don't nullify what happened in the past in our lives, nor do we idolize it. Wherever you are in the journey, God was doing something in the past. You might look at your past and think, oh man, if only I knew this stuff now that I knew, if I only knew then what I know now. God didn't want you to know that stuff then or he would have told it to you. You look back at the past, you don't have to be, have regrets. That's where you were on your journey and that's what God was doing in you and so we're not nullifying the past. The past is not bad. That's how God was working in the past. We also don't idolize it. We also don't go, man, that was such a great time. I had such a great prayer life when I was back. Yeah, you might have, but you weren't going through the suffering you're going through now. God's put you in the place where you are now because he's doing something new. We don't want to go back to the past, even the most nostalgic spiritual highs we might have had in the past. God is taking us forward. Amen. So we look at the past and we don't nullify it and we don't idolize it. We're just thankful for it. Okay, Lord, that's where I was at that point in my life. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. And then third and most important, wherever you are on that journey, that metaphorical road from the East Coast to the West Coast, wherever that radiator springs is that you are, look for the new thing God is doing. You have not circled back around to the same spot again. God is doing something new. Ask him to open your eyes to it. This might be the second time you've had this diagnosis, but he's doing something different this time. You're different this time. This might be the second time. Maybe you raised your kids and now you're raising your grandkids and you're like, well, here I am back in the same. You're not back in the same spot. God's doing something new. He's always doing something new. If you try to put new wine into old wineskins, new wine still has life. It will burst the old rigid wineskins. If you try to handle this new season with the things you did in the past, it will burst it apart. And so you just ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you're doing new this season. Life is a highway and discipleship is a journey. It's a journey from old to new, where we're headed in a straight line, becoming more and more like Jesus until he returns. Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful for this teaching and this truth. I pray that you would remind each of us, uh, Lord God, that you are creating and doing something new 
I love this verse in Isaiah. Forget the past. I've got something new for you. Lord, only you can continually create new things. Forgive us, Lord. We think heaven's gonna be dull and boring. All it's going to be is you creating new stuff for eternity for us to experience and enjoy. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for those who maybe like the Pharisees are just here investigating, trying to figure out, Jesus, whether you're worth following, would you now speak to their hearts and call them to come follow you? That you're calling them out of where they were into something new. I pray for those who might've gotten a difficult health diagnosis or going through a tough financial situation or in the middle of a, a rough patch. Lord, I pray that they would realize they're not in that spot by accident, but that you, their teacher and master, have led them to this spot so that you might transform them. God, you're doing something new in each of us. Give us eyes to see it. Forgive us for ways in which we have wanted to return to the past and we've made an idol out of something you've done for us in the past. Lord, keep pushing us forward. Take, us, take our eyes off where things were and put them on where they're going to be. God, who can do this except you? We can hear this talk and want to try, but apart from your spirit, we're unable to do it. So would you, by the power of your spirit, enable us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now, Lord Jesus, is set down at the right hand of the throne on high. We believe that. Help us to live in light of that. We pray this in your name. Amen.